Welcome back to Studio G, Scott. Thanks for having me back in, Garrett. How'd you enjoy your break? Which what what kept you busy? Everything. Pro Tools. Pro Tools, man. It, that whole three weeks is just a blur. One day smearing into the next, and on and on. You feel like you're learning some traits and some I things do. that you can take with you, though. I do, 100. percent I do, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the light. You know. I know that's one thing. I've I've been outside. I've been to a lot of concerts. I've been to multiple operas on this little break. And, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like as soon as, you know, we're not on these microphones, there's plenty of stuff that you think of to talk about or to bring in. And yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I could talk about the problems with uh, Carmen as an as an existence. You know, I could <laughs> talk about um, Elton John because, you know, I went to a concert and uh, the the person over the concert, I, I'm not going to give his name because he might be on Trilicu one day, but long story short, we were at the end of this concert of spirituals and um, art songs. So, you know, you had the Bach and the Marcello next to the spirituals. Anyway, so at the end, there was a question and answer sort of talk back and folks are you know, you know, really vibing with the idea of mixing these genres. And he's like, well, we're just trying to affirm more things as classical and and uh, hmm. and and a, a part of that uh, oeuvre of music. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So I'm in I'm in the crowd feeling it. And he's like, of course, though, there's always a, a barrier. It's not like we can compare Bach to the music of. And then as soon as you heard, maybe I can press some buttons as soon as he said that. You can uh, hear the you? audience saying, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then so he's on the microphone stammering <laughs> and he's like, well, who can I say? I mean, it's not like we can necessarily compare the music of Bach to the music of. And then he says Elton John. And I'm like, OK, now you've gone too far. Mm. And a couple of the people in the audience booed. <laughs> really? <laughs> Would you consider? Would you? Could you make a case for the music of Elton John to be venerated on the same level as Bach? You personally, as an individual. Well, I've been a fan since Goodbye Yellow Brick Road came out. Yeah, listening to it in my brother's room. But um, the piano that he plays, the virtuosic nature of his voice, uh, the staying power that he's had over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I, I've been talking about this on the air recently. What are they going to call this era a hundred years in the future? And who is going to be left? Who's, you know, who is going to be, you know, who's going to be remembered and who won't. Right. I think Elton John's name is going to be in period. We're going to be talking about Beyonce. We're going to be talking about John Williams. We'll Mm -hmm. likely be talking about Terrence Blanchard, considering the history that he made at the Met uh, last year, 2021. So there are some figures who who we're going to be talking about a lot of these people we won't be though mm-hmm. so what does that mean i don't know anyway uh a, an example of the, the many things that i had on my mind during break but uh, to to get us back you know into season 4 this uh season premiere i was trying to think okay so what's some good welcome back music or or music that just has that spirit of first day of school or you're back at work and the only thing i could think of was this Welcome back Your dreams were your ticket out Welcome back To that same old All right, Scott Nice the, pick, Mr. Cotter For the 20-somethings Maybe some of the 30-somethings What are we listening to? This is the theme for the television show Welcome Back, Cotter And who was, who was Cotter? Cotter was a teacher Oh, Mr. Cotter Mr. Mr. Cotter Yeah Teasing a lot Cause we got it 
on the spot. Welcome back. Welcome back. So all of that to say, just that. Welcome back. I, I don't know how I know that show. I think my dad must have showed it to me at some point because I don't remember it on Nick at Night. But again, thinking about Welcome Back music, that's the first thing that came into my mind. Just so smooth. We, we've talked about it before, how TV shows don't have the theme music, the theme songs that they used to. That's right. What a what a beautiful performance there. I don't have it right in front of me, but I'll credit the whoever that was singing, unless you just know. I was there um, front and center in front of the television. Uh, with a sense memory of my pajamas sticking to me because I didn't get out of the shower quick enough to make it downstairs <laughs> in time for the show to start. Also, you were running to the TV to watch Mr. That, Cotter. That was what? Wednesday night, Thursday night, eight o'clock. Wow. Yeah. When we were talking about this earlier over dinner, of course, you go down memory lane and bring up all the shows that that I don't know. <laughs> and and one of them had a, a theme, some theme music that we we need to honor here really quickly. All right, well, other than perfectly in-tune strings, trumpets with all the attitude, and even some digital whatever instrument that is. That had to be one of the first synthesizers. (laughs) Well, what what is this we're listening to? This is the theme to Chips. Chips. So what was Chips about? That was about the California Highway Patrol. Oh, man. Oh, man. You know how we feel about the police here, but this music. Eric Estrada. I just had to let that one rock. Listen, <laughs> you have your strings, you have your trumpets. I mean, fine, you have some uh, so, electronic so-called extended instruments of the of the <laughs> orchestra. So-called, mm. we have American classical music here, and we have music that many of us, and uh, dare I say, most people in my generation and younger, just have no idea about. But we damn sure make sure that we play hot cross buns at the very beginning and all of these other Europeans. Right, a passage. You know, all, and then going up, we, oh, you have to know the, the Beethoven and the Schumann symphonies and X, Y, and Z. Anyway, this, this is it. This is it. <laughs> and maybe, maybe we shouldn't venerate the Chips theme song or, or uh, the uh, Welcome Back Cotter theme song on the same levels as we talk about some other music, even contemporary music. You know, m- maybe we can have that discussion. But at the end of the day, artistically, we're learning things historically, musically, that are pretty separated from us, not not as connected to us and our culture and our own history as these two pieces of music. <laughs> I mean, what did, is it is it inappropriate to have some sort of shifting of the narrative, shifting of the industry to where pieces of music like this are played at the youth orchestra concert, you know, uh, really piquing the interest of, of grandpa and uncle in the audience? That'd be interesting. Can you think of a show that's on TV or, or a series that's on right now mm-hmm where kids in the street are singing the theme as they run around. You know, 
they're still singing SpongeBob, and I think that's oh, the, I think that's okay. the only one. I, right. I can't think of any evening sitcoms, or I mean, and not to say there isn't some great music. I look, I shimmy every time I hear the Mandalorian theme. Look, sure, but <laughs> but that's not the same as some of the stuff that we had back in the past. Whenever my buddy and I would start riding really fast on our bikes, we're out there. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, we had parts. Yeah, name name a television show that does that today. Not really, not really many, but you know, the, the music is there, the music exists and it deserves as much respect, maybe even more respect than all of this Bach and everything. You know, American classical music is a concept that I am growing more and more devoted to, more comfortable with uh, thinking about, better at explaining to people, funders, uh, uh, musicians, folks in the industry, you know, with the keys, I'm really dedicated to that. And I feel like if we can go back and listen to some of these pieces, if we can think about what hasn't been centered that we can use for our education to teach things like orchestration, uh, playing an instrument, all of those things, I, I think we, we, we could really do something and, you know, let's get somebody to do uh, a seventies television show medley. And 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 put it together for the pops concert. Oh yeah, and and let everyone have all of the memories. That's what the orchestral experience should should be about, anyway. But you know, we're 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 getting there with the orchestral experience. But we're here there on on this here podcast called Triloquy. So let's go ahead and get into it. I'm Scott Blankenship, and this is Triloquy. That's a it, it gives a this show a brighter feel. That that new season four it feels theme. like a David Gray track. <laughs> I, I, I picture the ocean, maybe some wicker furniture. I don't know, mm. <laughs> linen, linen, <laughs> linen clothing. I, was about to, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like a windshield, like I'm behind a windshield, maybe, <laughs> maybe on a motorcycle or a, a convertible car, some sort of road trip. Oh well, anything, anything like that. We'll we'll tighten up that theme. There there are, there are a couple things to tighten up for next time, but yeah, we'll I get love that. it. Yeah, thank that. Thanks as always for being a great producer and composer behind these musical themes. You got it. A new one for every season. Welcome everyone to season four, opus 151 of the Triloquy podcast. Uh, if you're returning to this, thank you for returning. Your continued support keeps this podcast going and helps continue the conversation of decolonizing classical music. If this is your first time taking a listen to the Triloquy podcast, Triloquy is a podcast that takes the idea of classical music and expands it to conversations and music that haven't always been included or centered in the phrase and in the conversation surrounding classical music. For more information on the Triloquy podcast, please visit Triloquy.org. You can listen to past opuses there. You can donate and you can learn about some of our contributors and the folks who uh, help make this possible. In addition to your support, support for the Triloquy podcast comes from Springboard for the Arts. More on them at springboardforthearts.org. I want to send a shout out to KVNO FM for launching season two of The Sound of 13. I can uh, speak a little bit more to that in the second movement today, but I wanted to make sure I sent them some thanks. Again, thank you to all of the listeners for all of your support. We got the Phantom and the Phoenix from the Ilharmonic Orchestra coming up in movement three. A really great conversation there. But for now, let's get into movement one. Scott. If you do anything well, 
on this show, it's really digging deep <laughs> and finding the topics that you feel like might engage the people. And you brought one in today that certainly has my attention. Give us more. First of all, what, what accidental is this getting? I'm going to give this one a sharp. And I found this uh, just th this is one of those suggestions from Twitter, you know, based on your likes or who sure. you follow or whatever. <laughs> sure. Uh, this was a thread that was posted by at Natty Stone, an important thread on how Lil Kim became rap's first LGBT ally when homophobia was the norm in hip hop. Um, you going to say something? You, a I big mean, inhale? just, just what, what you instantly, as a matter of fact, let me click the follow button on Lil Kim right now. I don't know why I wasn't following her. Uh, I, what I instantly thought about when you brought this in was many opuses ago, we were talking and I almost paused because I was like, well, I hate to admit or I hate to call hip hop a homophobic genre of music, mm -hmm. but it's hard not to have that opinion sometimes uh so just to briefly return to that bit of the conversation you know hip-hop as it exists today considering who's out there you know we got saucy santana we got Lil nas x we you know the, the gays have infiltrated hip-hop at least one corner of it do you think that status quo of hip-hop being a homophobic genre of music still stands today if someone were to ask you that what would you does little nas x say? consider himself a hip hop artist. Does how does he refer to himself? I mean that that's a that's a good question. But at the end of the day, he's definitely embraced by hip hop, and he's a part of hip hop and culture, also embraced by some know. some in country by some of them. Sure, right. So, <laughs> um, I just think we're 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 starting to see a transition where it isn't as big of a deal. Sure. I mean, even my dad will listen to you know he he would never do any he would never listen to a gay artist back in the the eighties or nineties. Sure. But over time, he has learned and grown, and now there's some that he does. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. What's so basically, what I'm saying is that yeah, I think that uh, it also it does have that problem, but it, but it's changing. Just like there is that age issue too. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And 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 that's actually you know something we were talking about before we cut on the mics hip-hop having an age problem. A lot of the hip-hop that's coming out today is obviously marketed toward the younger people, the younger straight people, usually the younger straight men, mm -hmm. um, or the boys in, in some cases. But I don't know, little, uh, lists like this, uh, threads like this, offer a, a more colorful view of uh, hip-hop. Are, are there any uh, points in this uh, thread about Lil' Kim being an ally that caught your attention? Well, it goes all the way back to 1996 when uh, this uh, Natty Stone starts. Uh, I think it's Nasty Stone. Nasty Stone, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm wearing my progressive lenses on here. All right, give me a break. So um, one of them was Lil' Kim begins working with the grandfather of ballroom actor Extravaganza, who mm -hmm. was in charge of designing her colorful coats at the time. There's a couple of uh, interview quotes in there where you can uh, get her words on some of these collaborations. In 1997, in an interview for Rap City, behind the scenes of her Crush on You music video, she shouts out RuPaul, and RuPaul is there. Um, yeah, going back to 1996, I think that that's a strong record, don't you? Yeah, for sure. So that's the question is, who else might be able to carry that mantle of LGBTQ allies? That's the thing. See, and I, I hate to do it because whenever someone brings up Kim, someone brings up Nikki. So I'm going to be that person today. Mm. <laughs> uh, as I've talked about here before, 
Nikki was there when I lifted my head out of the strict Western European classical, you know, after being in grad school and all that stuff. And she was there running the hip hop world, you know, at the top of the charts. So that that's how I re-entered hip hop. My first entry was with Queen Latifah as a as a little kid, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's something about women rapping that has always been attractive to me orally, but also spiritually. I feel like one of the reasons the gays love women who rap is because we get to hear the women talking about how these men ain't shit and, and X, Y, and Z. And, you know, we have those experiences. So rapping along with those words, you know. <laughs> I can hear you. That, 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 that gets some, some of that frustration out, you know. Um, I, I looked up a couple lists to see what the internet considered uh, the greatest verses of some of these uh, women rappers. I'll play uh, here in a second what the internet uh, considers Lil Kim's greatest contribution to hip hop. But, you know, I, I couldn't sit here and, and talk about women in hip hop without bringing up Nicki Minaj's verse on Monster. I mean, a work of art. I just want to take a listen to a little bit here. But my features and my shows, 10 times you pay. The DK for a verse, no album out. Yeah, my money's so tall that my Barbie's got a kind it. Hotter than a Middle Eastern climate. You know, one of the things about Nikki specifically, you know, especially at being under the tutelage of Lil Wayne and all of those people, the the verses, the bars are dripping wet with all of these double and triple entendres. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you need the super titles or the subtitles like you go into an opera really Dude. to catch everything. You know, it's 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 really brilliant. And, you know. She wasn't always there. Nikki wasn't always there for the gays, but she came on around. She um, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this on the mic. I, I guess I will. So a couple years ago, you know, after all of us, you know, gay fans of Nikki were just, you know, waiting for her to affirm us. It was announced that she was going to be a guest judge on a guest host on an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. Scott. I called into work. <laughs> so somebody had to work overnight radio because I needed to see look. Uh, I needed to see Nikki on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, you know what? Me. <laughs> I know that you have never ever called into work to watch a television show. Never in your life. Well, not but Drag have, Race, so. but I... <laughs> anyway. So it, it 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 was great to get that affirmation, and I think it's fun to have this thread that showcases the way Lil Kim was doing all of that work, you know, for the gays out here affirming the queer community, even before Nikki was around. Uh, was there a, an artist or is there an artist that you feel like you have in common with all of the gays? When the when the gays are squealing for an artist, who are you there also squealing for? <laughs> <laughs> squealing. Huh? In, your, in your heterosexual way, of an, course. A heterosexual squeal. <laughs> mm. But who is that? Let artist? me work on that. Well, there's there's several that come to mind. I listened to Erasure and didn't have very you know didn't have very good luck uh, getting respect from people for that. Um, <laughs> and I also listened a lot to uh, Boy George and when he was back in Culture Club. Mm. Um, yeah, and, Time Affair of the Heart is probably culture, my favorite one. Culture Club was like a collective, or say more about culture. The name of a group or name of a band. I'm yeah. ignorant. I'm making it on my British pop, oh, my British okay. gay pop. No, it's a it's a <laughs> band, and uh, it's a, a fortet, and 
I don't know what else to say. A man. musical foursome. What was the what's the piece of music that you uh, mentioned that comes time, to mind? Time, time, affair of the heart. picture for me this music is on in the background of where <laughs> well this would have been at the under 21 dance club that i used to go to with all of my buddies so i'm, I'm imagining very broad dance strokes like y'all did in the 80s broad dance strokes <laughs> as broad as the pads in my the shoulder pads in my jacket <laughs> Very symphonic in its own way. Got the glockenspiels and strings yeah. and nice '80s drums. Yeah, shout out, shout out to shout out to Pride Month. The the gay artists have been out here for a long time and before it was safe to really affirm right. oneself. I mean, Boy George, for goodness' sake, when <laughs> I remember uh, him being on the news talking about he was bisexual, but you know, at first, right. And I'm, and and maybe that was a part of his journey. And I think it was a time when you had to take baby, baby, baby steps 100%. like that before people would, you know, take you seriously. A hundred percent. And there, you had somebody who became a target. I knew people who would say, "I don't like him just because he's a big." F- mm. Really? That's the reason. Hmm. All right. Now, no musical reason, no political reason. Well, no, you, know? you can't argue with the music. He has a terrific voice. I appreciate people who have talented uh, aspects to them, like a good voice or they can play an instrument. Yeah. It does not matter who they want to be with. Yeah. So shout out to the queer community. Happy Pride Month. I am one of you. I'm not on the market. So <laughs> if, you t- if you type Garrett McQueen on Google, one of the... Um, uh, what do they call it? predictive searches or whatever mm-hmm. says uh, Garrett McQueen is married to who? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so somebody's out there looking, but <laughs> and uh, you know, for you. and and shout out to shout out to all of the allies as well because you know Scott, we need y'all as much as we as much as we uh, center as much as I center race and pro blackness and and anti racism and all of those things of course the conversation of queer identities is still there and i think it's it's special that uh, that you've been an ally for so long you were a fan of boy george and culture club before it was cool and here you are co-hosting a podcast with bringing them back one up. of the one of the gayest of them all or maybe i should give myself a natural <laughs> <laughs> well i tell you what just give me a couple more weeks to finish up this class and then i'll put some kleenex boxes on my feet and get a clean robe and we'll go out <laughs> all right well you know since all of this conversation came up with Lil kim herself we have to pick it up with what the internet considers her greatest verse of all time which is queen bitch let's listen to a little bit of this to get to our next accidental who you loving who you want to be hugging roll with niggas that be thugging bugging in the tunnel and so sipping espresso cappuccino with nino on a mission for the luchi crino i used to wear mochino but every bitch got it 
Now I rock colorful mix because my pockets stay knotted. C note after C note, Frank Boat Hole 15 plus the caterer. You think you're greater, uh? You niggas got some audacity. You sold a million, now you have for me. Get off my dick, kick it, bitch. Check my pitch, uh. cynic persona. And I still stick your mom's And shout out to Biggie as well. I'm not sure if <laughs> we could say Biggie was a was an ally or we don't know what was happening behind the scenes. Maybe he had some, mm-hmm. you know, some folks on his team, but um, you know, he of course he was a huge part of of uh Kim's development. And yeah, it's it's fun to to think about hip hop as this genre that is beginning to really embrace uh folks like me you know folks folks on the on the queer spectrum it was always this sort of sacrifice you had to make when listening to hip-hop or engaging hip-hop back in the day because that f word made it through a a lot of people's music and we just had to kind of roll with it but you know uh revisiting our history and knowing that there are folks there in hip-hop that have always been on our side and have have been riding it's 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 really it's really great to see so Mm. I'm excited about it. Well, speaking of the gays, I will uh, come with an accidental. I'm going to give this one a natural, though. Um, I'm reading here from Variety. It says, Maestro, first look, Bradley Cooper, transform into Leonard Bernstein in A Star is Born follow-up. First of all, let's look at the still. Let's look at the image here that's on this on this uh, page. The first time I scrolled through, um, this article popped up maybe on Facebook, and I thought it was Bernstein until I clicked on it and took mm-hmm. a closer look and realized, oh, I guess that is Bradley Cooper. Wouldn't you say that? Looks like him. That's a pretty good portrayal. I mean, got the cigarette in hand and everything. Yep. But let me read a little bit. Uh, Bradley Cooper is fully transformed in the first look at his Netflix-backed biographical drama Maestro, which serves as his directorial follow-up to an Oscar winner, A Star is Born. Did you see A Star is Born? I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't either. Yeah. There, there was something about Bradley Cooper singing that I did not want to bear witness to <laughs> but i guess i need to stop being a hater and and you know that film won an oscar so he must be uh coming with it on this uh on this uh bernstein film we we can talk about bernstein as you know this queer icon especially when you know folks are trying to explore the intersections of western classical music and and the gays you know and 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 uh queer history all of that stuff but with that considered and aside why do you think a Bernstein movie is important. Why is that what we need right now? Well, how can you make a, I'm not asking you to shit on it. I'm just saying, how would you make a case for a Bernstein biographical film? I think that as a subject, you probably have the best shot at getting a lot of commercial success Mm. because Bernstein is something that people would recognize. A lot of people would recognize they can say the name, right? He's American. (laughs) <laughs> so sure. if you're going to get your foot in the door sort of an exposure into somebody's life in classical music leonard bernstein is a great place to start it's interesting that you say american or or, or you or you put that context on it because he wrote very much western classical music mm-hmm. i mean if, if we're really just gonna boil it down but it did have an excitement about it an attitude about it a a, a non-seriousness about it that really, you know, marked, I think, the beginning of where some of these conversations weren't when it comes to American sure. classical and affirming. I'm just going to quickly um, pull up the overture to um, to Candide here. Okay. 
So it's very noisy. It's very busy. It's very hectic. You know, of, of course, we can, you know, we have to apply and consider the story of Candide. But even that aside, I feel like you hear the energy of New York in it. There's a bustle. You, you, you feel that um, American attitude. So if that piece of music was the American in the room next to Swan Lake, next to uh, name, name something uh, Germanic, mm-hmm. name something uh, Ukrainian, whatever, all, all of that. <laughs> this is the, this is definitely the person who you won't miss right. in the room. And, and maybe, you know, there's, there's some conversations uh, to be had there that are broader. But I just think when we think about Leonard Bernstein, as much, again, as I am always pushing us to go toward more living composers and composers of color, women composers. Bernstein is one of those folks that you have to put up there. You were talking about who are they going to still be talking about in 100 years? Mm-hmm. I think Bernstein is 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 in that crew. Uh, maybe maybe think- not to the same level as a John Williams, but he's going to be in the history books. Is it because he... Uh, composed in addition to conducting and also playing piano? Is it the triple threat aspect of it? And then, you know, on top of that, the activism, because you have to remember Leonard Bernstein was down there. I think it was called uh, The Night the Stars Came Out for Mm -hmm. Voting Rights. Mm -hmm. You know, Nina Simone was there. There are images of of Bernstein speaking. So he was on it on that level. He's just someone who didn't live and get crusty and old on the podium or in the concert hall. He actually lived life. And I feel like you can uh, feel that and hear that through his music. And it's uh, it's a great example of what we've done over here on this side of the pond. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, you know, with everything, it's, it's going to be a, a little drama. So let me, let me get my drama button here again. So it says in another article, is Bradley Cooper's prosthetic Leonard Bernstein nose problematic? This has even gone as far as to be called, I almost don't want to say it, Jew face. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that just straight off the bat? Because <laughs> I I I, I'm not there. sure what to say. <laughs> I didn't go there. Um, from the perspective that I was looking at it, there, there, are, there are stills of him as a young man mm-hmm. with, with no prosthesis. Sure. Both Bernstein and Bradley Cooper playing young Bernstein. Right. Right. And we know that as you age, your ears and your nose continue to grow. So I don't know if, it, you know, I think that if, if you're going to show any character going through age, there might be prosthesis that was added. Let me, so, and, and just to offer some perspective on this, I'm reading from InsideHook.com. It says, on Tuesday, Netflix released the first photos from its forthcoming Leonard Bernstein biopic, Maestro. Bradley Cooper, who directed the film and also stars as the legendary composer, is almost unrecognizable under layers of prosthetics, especially in old age makeup as the elderly Bernstein. Mm. But it's one prosthetic in particular that's raising eyebrows and prompting questions of whether the role should have gone to someone else. So this this article cites people um, tweeting again with that word um, Jew face. Someone uh, said here, Bradley Cooper wearing a prosthetic nose to play a Jewish man is just no bad. If the nose is so important to the character that it needs to be featured, just cast someone with that sort of nose. I'm not even asking for a Jewish actor. Just don't do Jew face. I would have never thought of this and i'm not yeah in, i didn't go there either. i'm not invalidating this perspective it's just one that i never would have thought of of course i'm not jewish so there are are, are certain perspectives and, and things that i have not had to deal with in my life um i think it's an interesting conversation I, I i can't tell people how to feel about it 
I, I just wonder where where do we draw the line with prosthetics? I think it's pretty normal to consider a fat suit problematic, even mm-hmm. though that was a you know a, a regular occurrence in, in movies uh, once upon a time. Of course, uh, blackface has long been out of the picture. Yeah, maybe we just need to move away from prosthetics from trying to look like someone else because there will be some feature that's uh, exaggerated or or featured in some way that proves to be problematic for some people. Hmm. Just like you, I didn't go there, but I see how others are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I can't find the actual quote that I said uh, that I, that I had seen out there, but you got to be careful in instances like this because there's all sorts of uh, articles that are referencing hearsay. Yeah. And so not all of it is even, you know, accurate or even attributable attributed attrib- attributable mm-hmm. to Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, as as it's as it says here at the end of this article, even if we've removed Judaism from the equation entirely, why not cast someone who already has a nose like that? Surely there's a talented actor out there somewhere who physically resembles Leonard Bernstein more than Bradley Cooper does. So, you know, I, I, I can't say how anyone should feel. I, I don't even feel totally comfortable weighing in on it. What I will say is I am taken aback a little bit by phrases like Jew face or even yellow face, as mm-hmm. we saw some people say, I just don't believe it's something that can be compared to blackface or should be compared to blackface, not because one is worse or one was more harmful or detrimental, but I think the context of blackface in the United States um, and even over there in Europe is, is, is so much of a, of a sore point that still has yet to actually uh, be dealt with using phrases that compare things like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally comfortable. I wish there was another way for us to approach the conversation without me having to sidestep with, well, why are we comparing this to, uh, 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 to black denigration, to mm-hmm. black oppression by, by that sort of phrase, you know? So do you think that it would have made, that big of a dust up if let's say his name was Leonard Bronson or Leonard Brown and he wasn't Jewish. If, if, if who Bern- wasn't Jewish? If Bernstein wasn't Jewish. Oh, if, oh, I see. Hmm. No, it's not lost on me though, that when we talk about problematic stereotypical images of Jewish people, a large nose is a part of that. That is something that I have heard of. So I can't say that's lost on me. Um, Me neither. If, if there was no, as as I just read in the end of this article, they're even saying Judaism aside. Yeah, you know we need to be moving away from prosthetics and and that sort of thing. So 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 maybe that's really what it it boils down to. We need to stop wearing makeup to look like someone we aren't. Hmm. If if we're going to run the risk of being offensive and and highlighting or or uh, or exaggerating. Uh, one of those features that you know has stereotypically been attached to communities of people. I'm going to chew on it for a little while because I certainly didn't go there, and obviously I need to give it another think. So yeah, I I won't say th- this is why I'm hesitating. What I don't want to say is I hope this doesn't keep the movie from happening. I don't want to say that. If there are people who feel away about that prosthetic, then that means something needs to be done and. 
I'm an ally to to all marginalized communities in the best way that I can be. So I won't say that. What I will say is I hope a way is made for Bernstein's story to be told to a broader audience because, you know, uh, considering what we talked about uh, with the aesthetic of music that he brought to the front, Mm -hmm. of course, there's uh, West Side Story that everyone talks about, his activism, you know, what he did during the civil rights movement for black people. I think Leonard Bernstein is a man who deserves to be honored and venerated. So I hope a path is made for that to happen, even if it means getting a a new actor. We got to be equitable in, in all ways. Um, anything else on on that? Uh, what kind of music? I, I feel like I'm tiptoeing here, so we better move on. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you know, of all, there's so many things that uh, we can play to honor the late great Leonard Bernstein. But uh, I wanted to go with the uh, three dance episodes today. The the suite from his, uh, I think it was a ballet called On the Town, or that's maybe right. uh, a ballet called On the Town. Let's listen to a little bit of this to get us into our second movement today. <laughs> Are you able to remind the people what On the Town is about? It's the Fancy Free Ballet, and On the Town is a movement from it where three young lads uh, in the Navy have a 24-hour pass in the Big Apple. So what do they do do together? They go out (laughs) on the town, and they do dance steps by Fosse and Jerome Robbins. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Until it's time to dock off again. Until it's time to go back to the ship. No, I thought they were fighting over a woman at a bar or something. Or is that a different ballet? Um, I I didn't know that part. Oh. <laughs> but that maybe, but that's, maybe maybe that's not a story that Bernstein would write. That is uh, that's no, a part of that Shirley. I think that has something to do with it. Actually. Yeah, it's part of Shirley, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, shout out to Leonard Bernstein and all of his music. And we are here in the second movement now, where we're gonna uh, shine a light on some of the music we've been living with. So as I said in in the opening, Scott. A lot has been happening. I mean, I went to a Flutronics concert. Shout yeah. out to Flutronics. It is just um, all kinds of incredible stuff happening out there in the performing arts world now that the concert spaces are opening back up. But um, I've also been here in the studio working on some things. I mentioned uh, the second season of The Sound of 13. Mm-hmm. And um, with this radio series, so with the first season, it was really focused on, you know, uh, Reconstruction Era America and, you know, uh, achievement through struggle and all of that sort of thing. Well, I wanted to have the second season be a little bit more celebratory, of a, a, a more uh, or less pimping out the pain and more celebration of accomplishments. So I, I, I was putting, putting together and trying to think about all of the different themes that I could have for this 13-part series. And it came to my mind to maybe do one about movie music. So I started with all of the Quincy Jones scores. So the people who listen to The Sound of 13, wherever it, may, uh, wherever it makes it to your uh, local public radio market, you'll get to hear some of the color purple. But I also went back and was listening to the score to the movie X, uh, with the score by Terrence Blanchard. I certainly remember the movie being out, mm-hmm. but I was a kid. I wasn't thinking about composers or film music composers. So I, so it was kind of fun for me to go back 
and to see a name that we're still saying now. I, I think it, it's a testament to how you have to, uh, you know, keep moving forward, keep your hand on the plow, so to speak, because if they aren't seeing your name today or this year or even this decade, that doesn't mean they won't always, you know, with Terrence Blanchard making a, um, an appearance at the Met with Fire Shut Up In My Bones and, and, uh, and continuing to have a name that's spreading further and further. I think it's, I think it's really cool. What, were, you, uh, were you around or, or do you have any memories uh, surrounding the release of the Malcolm X movie starring uh, Denzel Washington? Yep. I saw it a couple times. Uh, it was great. Uh, I thought the fantastic that the performances were fantastic, and I always enjoy it when Spike you know, it gets on camera. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Shout out Spike Lee yeah. as, as well, and to see him in a zoot suit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was some real high production values and some real attention to detail in that that I really appreciated. And plus, Malcolm was born in Omaha, so oh, you know, there's a that local history there. there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you feel like Malcolm X was? Uh, how can I ask this question? Like, I don't, I don't feel like he is as controversial now as he used to be. Um, hmm. Did did he have a level of controversy when this movie came out? Did you feel like you were doing something to, you know, to go no, buy not a ticket that, to this movie? Not at that point. Maybe if I was a little bit younger, because sure. when we first started learning, we in school we learned about Marcus Garvey, right. who wanted to go back to Africa, mm -hmm. and then there was Malcolm X and and. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Those were the big three that we learned. And, and good for y'all for learning about Marcus Garvey. And the way that I remember it, Malcolm X was the radical one. Mm. That's that's how it was. That he was the one with the with the big ideas. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't know how accurate that was. You know, this was you know probably junior high maybe. And we have the uh, Malcolm X opera by Anthony Davis that was right. that was written even before this movie. You right. know, I think that was back in the seventies or something. That's getting remounted. And yeah, that that's uh, coming to the Met. I think next season. I yeah. can't wait to uh, uh, buy a ticket to, to go see that because there are longtime patrons in that audience who felt a way about Malcolm X when he was in New York preaching what he was preaching, yeah. and now you have to go see his story <laughs> told on a stage that you helped pay for. Anyway, that I, I'm looking forward to that moment you know the the black art that can help people who are not black not see our struggle but to see your struggle to see your evolution yeah over the anyway I'm, I'm i'm getting off track so i was spending some time with the uh the movie soundtrack the terrence blanchard movie soundtrack uh to x and there was all kinds of stuff in there i think i played the track uh, uh going to mecca on triloquy before but uh the one i want to highlight today is called fruit of islam it starts with this really nice you know cinematic uh string section and then it gets into some percussion and into some low brass that i think is really funky that's the best word i have for it So a fruit, just so I'm making sure I'm not leaving anyone behind. Of course, a fruit of Islam is, um, is what they call the the folks who are soldiers for the uh for for the for the black 
Muslim church. Mm. You know, the the folks uh, selling in, in Memphis, it was um, fruit bags of fruit. But I, mm. I understand mm-hmm. other places it was bean pies or, you sure. know, the the, yeah. the the men who had trained the the up and coming. So, you know, that's what they mean by the, the fruits of Islam. When I listen to that track, I can't help but to hear blackness. And I know on Triloquy we've talked about, well, can the notes and rhythms themselves be racist or can they can the notes and rhythms themselves have identity? I think in the same way that we affirm uh, Czech identity with certain uh, aesthetics in, in mm-hmm. Western classical music, Russian, English, for me, that's black. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you mm-hmm. think I'm stretching? Would you hear that and, and hear a little something black if you heard that on the radio? It's reminiscent of the, the bands of New Orleans. Oh, of course. You know, with that tuba yeah. leading the way. Yeah. And it didn't quite, you know, it was playing its own thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess later on in the track, things more line up, right? Sure. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I, I love that sort of um, uh, offset feeling that, that comes together at the end. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Here's just a little bit more of this. Yes, of course. Shout out to John Williams, you know, the the person who, you know, many will say is the greatest film music composer, certainly among the greatest American film music composers. But there are so many others. And Terrence Blanchard is one of them. And I can't wait for everyone to get to hear, you know, the the X suites that I put together of uh, mm. a number of the tracks that were written uh, for this uh, movie. It's movie music. We don't always get to enjoy it's it's uh it's, it's movie music that isn't centered when we think about that concept of movie music but i love it i mm. love listening to it and i've loved returning to it um over these weeks we've we've been on break so i can't wait for that to 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 get out there all right well how about you what what what, what you doing for this week's second movie well you might recall the Earlier in the month, I celebrated my birthday down in Omaha with some family and friends. Mm -hmm. And my brother, Alan, had a little shindig for some people over at his place. And when I was driving Radar and my dad home, I thought, what am I going to play for dad that he would would really like? And I had recently heard the new release by Orville Peck, who is a South African vocalist uh, living in Canada right now, who has had a history in ballet punk and is now crooning uh you know like sort of the the big voice of the like from the 70s your johnny cash or your uh glenn campbell or ray charles you know the yeah. big voice uh and heavy vibrato let, let, let's let, let's listen to a little bit of it sure of the black and die uh-huh. Darling, I can feel it coming every time I sat around last year wished The man can sing. Do you sing? The man can sing. What did now, your dad think? No, he was really enjoying it. He says, oh, that guitar is really nice. And 
oh, that his his range is incredible, and that's that's a th- not a lot of people out there are yodeling. Okay, but <laughs> Orville Peck is getting close. It's that technique of a yeah. like Slim Whitman ish. Sure, you know of this uh, when he gets to the chorus. There's a, a yodel esque oh, feel to it. Now I can see the night. It's true. You haven't given us the tea yet, though. Yeah, you want to you want you want to know how I had my dad, though. Go ahead. It's this beautiful night, like maybe seventy degrees, no breeze. We're driving home with every window down, mm-hmm. and nobody said anything for the duration of the song. Just listening just straight to listen, the music. Just straight up listening to the music. And uh, after it was done, Dad's raving on and on. How come I haven't heard from this guy? How come I? And I said, I don't know. Um, do you know he's gay? <laughs> so your brother slams to a halt in the car. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I show him. I show him the video. I see that man you like. There That's he him. go. There That's she him. go. That's him, right there. <laughs> and what was and so and, and well, what the thing next? he wears a, he wears a mask. He's never showed his face publicly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure why. Orville Peck, uh, right? Orville Peck, and yeah, my dad wearing a, a mask right. in public. That would be hilarious. <laughs> But um, to me, looking at him, you know, he sort of he sort of looks like a cowboy action figure, yeah. while at the same time singing very cowboy-esque songs that would not be out of place in a David Lynch film sure. or TV show. Um, there's other tracks on there that are great as well. Um, Winds Change could be done by any number of Brit pop artists like The Smiths or, yeah. or Echo and the Bunnymen. I mean, he's just got a, he's got a really nice range. Right now, he just happens to be hanging out in the cowboy area. When I hear songs like that, the first time you played that song for me, I just kind of laughed because the soulfulness that exists in all iterations of black music, including American country, are so apparent. Mm-hmm. You know, we we could have any number of of gospel people. Um, blues, R&B, whatever, on the black side of music, singing that very same song, and all of a sudden, it's in a different genre, or mm-hmm. it's in a, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's something that I think about all the time, and then when you add on top of it, the fact that this man is gay, I'm sure that there are barriers that he has had to deal with that I have no idea, because I don't go to the honky-tonk, or wherever he's trying to perform, or or headline. I will say this, though. <laughs> With all of the uh, elaborate masks and the costumes and the um, every now and again the little bit of a dance move you'll see from Orville Peck in the uh, in the music videos. Oh, he's a showman. I, I think I think he's continuing to cocoon. I, I don't think the butterfly is totally mm. out of the cocoon just yet. Maybe the mask is going to come off one day. Maybe we'll get full chore. We're going to get full choreography in one of these music videos <laughs> coming up. Um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's really incredible. You know, we talked about the homophobia in hip hop and, and the way Lil Kim has 
been an ally for for so long. I can't speak to who's been in who's been there for the country people, but m- maybe you can. I certainly I can't. can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, or- Orville Peck is just offering some visibility that's very important, and giving the you know the country queers something to <laughs> enjoy. You know, because they exist as well, and they deserve uh, to be seen and to um, uh, to be empowered through the music that they love and. And and Orville Peck is getting there. I I, I respect the mask I, and and all of that. I think it's going to come off eventually. The overtones are there for sure, but the lyrics are universal. Sure. And, and every single verse. Talk about starting with your best stuff. Stuff. I've been hiding out, running from the curse of a blackened eye. Mm. That's how he starts. Yeah. The next verse. It ain't the letting go. It's more about the things you take with. Mm. You know something about that. And uh, the last one always said, I should work on my escape. Mm, 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 mm. Ashe. Shout out to Orville Peck. All that's country. Yeah. And, it, and it's a, a good way to get me into the genre. I've been listening to some Orville Peck on the side myself since you introduced me. Mm. And look, it's not an aesthetic that I spend most time with and not one that I grew up with, but I can definitely get into it. And like I said, you can't you can't deny that the man is singing. Here here's a little bit of the the tail end of this tune, The Curse of the Black and Die. Nothing lose, lost it all. And, you know, you, we all see and experience different things in this music, and especially when the visuals of uh, the music video is added on top of it. But I'm sorry. It is very apparent to me that there is some there are some feelings there about being queer in the space and wanting to mm. be able to dance with the one you love and, mm. and meet a and meet a guy you know, at the honky tonk country bar in the same way that you could meet a woman at the at the country bar. I, I see and and feel all of that in there. And mm. I, I hope that Orville Peck is is getting his due, especially during Pride Month. Now, I will also say um, I hope that Orville Peck isn't. Uh... <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know I, how I always say. I'm not going to bend over to X, Y, and Z. Well, I hope Orville Peck isn't bending over to the to, oh, to the powers no. that are going to push him deeper into um, obscurity or into the closet or whatever whatever hmm. language you want to use. See. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we have somebody that I will stand behind and support. You know, as a as a member of the queer community, you know, making sure that I'm I'm giving my flowers to this iteration of American classical music, despite the fact that he's was born in South Africa, living in Canada. You know, there there are all kind of connections and 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 things to to be explored there. And look, I know how it is to to be out here as a as a gay man. I also know how it is to be out as a gay man. And I hope that Orville gets there. Uh, I'm a fan of Sia, so I understand the face covering and not mm-hmm. wanting, you know, mm-hmm. your physical body, your face to be used as a, a prop for advertisement and capitalism. I understand those conversations. Um, I also 
am looking forward. I won't even say I'm hoping. I'm looking forward to seeing Orville Peck continue to bloom into the the country star that he will become um and and all of his fabulousness mm. and and no even not even making a joke you know or, or trying to be funny I, I really do uh look forward to that because um the the potential is there that the uh i mean just think about scott the 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 teenagers the 13 and 14 year olds who live in middle of, of wherever idaho or, or these really conservative places Kansas. where you have these aesthetics of music and they can be affirmed through that aesthetic of music, you know, through through that. I think it's really incredible, and I'm I'm glad that I glad that I know him. As they said on uh, was what's the movie coming to America? That boy, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he's been around since 2017, but Curse of the Black and Die is released this year. Wow. Yeah. Well, great. Well, we'll have that and all of the music linked here in the description. All right. Well, we're getting into the third movement uh, this week. The Phantom and the Phoenix, who lead the Illharmonic Orchestra, return. They, we, I should say, have a concert coming up on Juneteenth at Wolf Trap over in the D.C. area. So uh, if you'll be in the area, I hope we see you at uh, Wolf Trap. You can uh, find your tickets online. I'll, actually, I'll also have that linked in the uh, in the description here. So uh, me and the Phantom and the Phoenix, we talk a little bit about the upcoming show we revisit the idea of classical hip-hop not only as a means of elevating classical but as a means of elevating hip-hop as well that's one of the things we talk about what's in it for hip-hop for more of these fusions and these ensembles uh to exist so we we, we get into um, all of that and more so i hope y'all enjoy to get us into our conversation you know, I have to play my Harmonic favorite. This one features both the Phantom and the Phoenix, a tune here called Double Trouble with the Harmonic Orchestra to get into my conversation with the Phoenix and the Phantom. Phantom's a mic, magnificent, most vicious of written shit, ripping and turn your dream into an isolated incident. Killer with no remorse and you'll be fortunate to witness it. Teach a course and get you a dorsal poison and penmanship. Listen, my style's unlimited. Bad mamma jamming, cup car carrying membership. Any scene, I'm feeling it. Part feminist, militant, part heroin villainous. We need a TV show so you can know I really it. The truth is you feeling it's on the face. You conspicuous to the nice, ridiculous, admit it is so. Poetry, so precipitous, full of dope deliciousness. When asked to buy a ticket, you should grip it and go. Forget what you know, no PMS, sick with the flow Kick in the dough, rip through a show and split with the dough Off the rip, no I'm hip to it bro, seen it before Acting shady, I'm a lady and I'm strictly a pro And yo, me and the Phantom, yo, we blow on the spot Cause we're double, double uh, You know, first first example of of someone being a convert Is when we performed at the Kimball Center for the for the very first time um, My wife was in, in the elevator riding down with someone who didn't know she was performing And the guy was like, hmm, I'm, I'm here to see this hip hop orchestra. I wonder what that's all about. Um, you know, and the guy parked himself right in the front row, didn't know she was performing and we performed. And at the end of that show, the guy came up to us and hugged me and damn near broke my neck. You know, <laughs> it was like, this is so wonderful. This is so awesome. I had never seen anything like this. Um, and those are the types of experience. So when you show people, you know, um, that, uh, the, the 12 notes, in hip hop and the 12 notes in Beethoven, they're the same, mm -hmm. you know, it's just how you feel about, about the music. Um, and when you, that's how, that's how you bridge those gaps. Um, when you see someone performing your favorite song on, on stage and you are like, I didn't know that was a violin or I heard that, but I didn't think that was a flute. You know, there's a young man who's performing with us um, uh, on Juneteenth who came to our show in DC when he was 10 years old, his mom bought him. Um, and she's like, my son needed to see this. He's a cello player. 
and now he's performing with us. And those are the types of things like you, you like we're bridging generations now, you know, and it's, you know, it's something that I can't honestly say that I, I, I foresaw when, when this started, but it's, it's become something that's very important to us. But it's also um, very undeniable. When you come into a space and you come to an El Harmonic show, um, the connection is undeniable. People see the human interaction between my husband and I, right? And they see that we are people just like everyone else. And they see all of these beautiful musicians on stage that they came into this setting being very skeptical about what they were gonna get. Of all types and walks of life, there is not one group of person or people that are skeptical, that are the only ones who are skeptical walking and even people who look like us are walking in skeptical. Mm -hmm. but, but when they see what this is and how there is this connection between us and the musicians and the music and the DJ, it is completely undeniable as to what this is and what it represents and what it's about. Um, and, it, and I believe that it touches people um, and it allows them to come into a space and just be themselves, mm. be free, right? Come to a concert hall and be something that you wouldn't anticipate being able to do in a concert hall. Just be yourself and wanna, enjoy it. <laughs> I, I, I want to underscore something you just said when people, you said when people see me and my husband performing, I, I wonder how that personal relationship translates into some of the synergy or the energy of, of the actual show. Real talk, um, people need to see that. People who look like us need to see that. Yeah. And people have come to our shows and commented about how empowering and inspiring it is to see a black couple on stage doing this and doing it with a, a level of, uh, at a high level, doing it with a level of respect and what is clearly a true genuine love for each other and for what they do. And that's why I say, you know, when people see us, they can tell that this is not a, this is not a fake situation. Nothing about what we do or what we try to convey is fake. And it comes through on stage and people need to be uplifted. It sounds, you know, sometimes it sounds a little Pollyanna, a little corny, but people, <laughs> but people need to be uplifted and they need to believe that these examples exist in life because people would like you to believe that this type of thing doesn't happen and that we don't share the same thoughts, values, concerns. And we're here to tell you that that's not true. <laughs> I, love, I love that. As far as the dynamics playing out on stage, um, you know, so many of our personal inside jokes <laughs> have come out on stage. Some are planned, some are not. Um, but I think that connection that she speaks about is is real and it's honest. And I think people, people pick up on that. And I think yeah. that, that's taken yeah. it to another level. We got Remy and Papoose and we got Phantom and Phoenix. I love that. <laughs> so speaking to people who look like us, in one of our uh, conversations years ago at, at this point, you talked a little bit about uh, a violist named uh, Raynard Edwards and the role he played in the Ilharmonic's early days. I, I wonder if you could uh, remind folks about who he is and what role he played for the Ilharmonic. So Raynard um, is someone who was one of the first um, black musicians to perform with the Philadelphia Orchestra in 1972 or, or 73. 
Um, he was one of three that got, um, you know, made it past the curtain call as they were in those days, the curtain audition. Um, and, you know, was one of the actual first musicians to play. Um, unbeknownst to me at the time, like he, he opened the door for, for us. Um, and during our first performance at the Kimmel Center that we, that we talked about, he was one of the musicians who, who performed with us. Um, you know, and I, I've, I've talked to him since and, and really wanted to thank him, um, you know, for, for being a trailblazer, being someone who will open those doors. Um, and that's why that sort of thing is, is, is important to us, you know? So when someone, someone asks me for advice or how do you do this or how did you do this or how do you start this or who, who to contact with that? Like I'm, um, I'm a lot more forthcoming Mm -hmm. (laughs) with information, um, you know, because of those doors that were open for me because of those shoulders that, that I stand on, um, you know, and, and if I can just provide just a glimpse of, of what people, you know, can do or aspire to. Like, I know there's another Phantom out there. I know there's another Phoenix out there just waiting for an opportunity or just waiting to see it done. You know, I know what what my the actualization of my dream looked like when I saw Coolio perform, you know, um, Gangster's Paradise. I was like, that's it. That's my idea. That's what I've been doing for five years working towards, you know, um, so... You know, if I can open those doors as Reynard opened for us, you know, it's 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 the least I could do. And I'd like to just kind of add to that, that the, when we encountered Reynard, it was we're only talking about maybe like 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at the time that we encountered him, Reynard was still only one of two black classical musicians within the Philadelphia Orchestra. Mm. And we're ta- so my point is, is that we're not that far removed from still being one of or two of, and it's still not being the norm um, to have people be in these spaces and be always like just the only one of them. And the importance of what that means and how we can come in and see a, see a situation like that and what that means to us as people who are striving to be musicians um, or striving to put together our own, our own orchestra. So we're really not that far removed from some of the things that feel like they were a lifetime ago. Um, they're still very real and present. And uh, we're very grateful to, to have been able to meet him and encounter him for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, the Kimmel Center is just one of the venues that the Ilharmonic has played. You've been in uh, on college campuses across the country, the Kennedy Center, and even Carnegie Hall. I-, I wonder what the journey for the Ilharmonic has been like since that Carnegie Hall show five years ago. It doesn't even seem that long ago. It's longer now, 2015. It's yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so since then... Um... Uh, Kennedy Center, um, Benaroya Hall in Seattle with the Amazon Symphony Orchestra, um, Memorial Hall in Cincinnati. Uh, it's, it, it's been a great journey and, and I look forward to, um, you know, to, to where we're going to go in the, you know, the next year or two. Uh, next year marks the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Um, you know, and our, our phone is already ringing with, with opportunities. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time and the journey has been, um, tough at times um, because we're we do a lot of the lay work ourselves. Um, you know, from from soup to nuts. You know, we're <laughs> we're the team. You're you're looking at it. Um, but it's 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 really been something that's allowed us to to build 
uh, a family, you know, um, which you're you're definitely part of, um, and and still growing that family. You know, some of these musicians that we're performing with on on Juneteenth have never taken the stage with us before, and that's exciting for us. You know, um, you know, I, it's it's an exciting time, and I look forward to what you know, even the next phase uh, of of the Ohomite is going to be when we step off stage and, and do some of the the other you know work that we we've been planning to do. I think the most exciting part of the journey in the last several years for me has been um, watching the orchestra grow um, from, you know, what it was, you know, 20 plus years ago to what it is now. Um, and, and number one, having people be a part of it that truly want to be a part of it, that truly mm-hmm. want to be here, truly get the, the goal um, and the intention. And so that comes through when they're playing. Um, you can definitely tell the difference between someone who's enjoying what they're playing versus someone who is just feels constrained in some, in some way. And the other part is when we do play with new musicians, like people who have not played with us before, we love our core. We love our core musicians. They'll, we always love to play with them. The, The cool thing is to see these new younger musicians come in and play with us and to, to have our eyes opened over and over every city we go to of all of this young amazing black talent that is out there we get like i get chills and excited when we have like a new group of musicians playing with us that's playing with our core people right because now you have you have your mentors you have your your ogs um you know even some of our friends who are in our 20s are the ogs at this point but you get some of these really young musicians just starting out getting to be on stage with us and then they start playing and you're like <laughs> you're like blown away yeah by how how natural naturally gifted and talented they are and that within itself that within itself is just super exciting because you can only just begin to imagine where this kid is going what life as a musician is going to look like for them so for me that's been a really really exciting part of the journey it's just watching where folks are going i love it and we can talk all day about the challenge of getting classical institutions in on what the Illharmonic is doing. But what's more interesting to me is sort of the hip hop community's aversion to orchestral instruments and, and orchestral music. I wonder if you can talk about that aversion and if that's changed over the years. Is, is hip hop more embracing of what Illharmonic is doing than 10, 15 years ago? <laughs> I mean, they've they've, so, they've sort of warmed up. In the in the beginning, it was it was really really tough. Um, you know, uh, dragging a, a string quartet to a club and people were looking at us like, oh, these people are highfalutin. You know, they what are you guys doing? You're putting on airs and, and, and those things. Um, to now, where you see um, musicians don't perform on TV or at award shows without an ensemble, right? Right, right. without a violinist at very least, you know, someone, someone backing them. Um, I just saw um, Onyx doing slam with a bassist, right? Like it's, Oh yeah, I saw <laughs> like, that like, too. Yeah. like it's, 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 it's all over the place. Like I constantly get videos, you know, uh, last year I got a video of a, of a, a 24 piece ukulele orchestra, you know, doing stuff. like it's, it's, it's grown in its, its presence. Um, and hip hop in general has kind of, kind of warmed up to it. Now you still have your outliers who, you know, who don't, 
who don't, you know, think it's just two turntables and a microphone and, you know, sampling all day and uh, against live, live music. But it's really, really now a part of the culture that's undeniable, right? Um, you know, you, again, like I said, you can't see someone performing on TV on, on, on late night or anything like that who doesn't have an ensemble. Um, and for us, the great thing is that um, a lot of the musicians who we've performed with are getting these opportunities, you know, to, to, to back up, you know, um, nationally televised shows as, as, as a flute player or as a violinist or, or things like that. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's amazing, um, you know, and it, it really um, helps to shine a light on, you know, live, live, live music within hip hop. I don't know that they're ever going to really admit who started it. But it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> because when I, like, for example, you know, I've, of course, like everyone else, I've been listening to this new Kendrick album. And this is music that I don't want to hear in a huge stadium. I want to hear this in some sort of concert hall because it's inherently just ready for, for that touch, that, that instrumental, that, that orchestral spin. But at the same time, he can do it with a DJ just pushing the button. What's in it for hip hop to really engage this sort of orchestral, this this renewed symphonic view of hip hop? We can speak to what's in it for us, you know, as musicians, me as musicians. But what's what's in it for the community? What's in it for hip hop to do that? So when I think about that's a great question. When I think about that, I think about what classical music is going through. Right. And what classical music is trying to do in gaining another audience, because the way that they've been doing it for so long. Doesn't really move the needle. Mm. Right. In hip hop, you're seeing people push the envelope a little bit more because it's hard to get someone to pay a hundred bucks to keep to see someone stand on the middle of the stage without anything else. Right. So so it's it's important for hip hop to kind of embrace this in order to, to really keep, keep moving because these shows are being taken to a whole nother level when you add live instrumentation. Um, whether, whether it just be a, a drummer and a, a, a few horns, it takes it to, to another level. Um, and I will, I will always love a DJ and an MC, um, but you throw, some, you throw some strings in there too, right? Like that's a, that's a ticket that's purchased. And I think in order for, for hip hop live shows to really, forward. really continue to move forward and to grab these audiences and, and continue to, to grab these audiences, there's, there's, there has to be just, just a little bit more. And I think embracing that really does a lot for, for the live performances, for the culture, um, and helps it, helps it move forward. So, so let's talk about this upcoming uh, show, this upcoming Juneteenth show. Uh, where did the idea come from or, or, or how, did, how did this start to get developed? So last year, um, actually, so let me let me rewind the tape. So let's let's be clear, because we know that um, Juneteenth has only very recently become <laughs> yep. known about. Right. Right. Um, amongst a lot of folks. It was not something that was a national holiday. It is not something that, he, that many folks even knew what the what the purpose or um, what it represented mm -hmm. um, just a few short years ago. Um, and so last year, uh, Phantom and I were still on like the outskirts of performing and things like that because of COVID. 
So, you know, performances were kind of coming back, but things were still kind of funny because the numbers were high and some places weren't really ready to be back at a full capacity. Um, and so Juneteenth was approaching and we decided um, we had done a couple of streaming events during the pandemic um, and thought it might be a really great idea to do something streaming for Juneteenth because people, again, were couldn't really come out to big concert halls. Um, and we said, this is this is an excellent time for us to get musicians working, get our musicians mm -hmm. working um, and to also celebrate this like momentous this momentous day. Um, and so we reached out to a few places that we had done a previous streaming event with and said, hey, how do you feel about streaming a Juneteenth performance by the Harmonic Orchestra? And with folks being who they are and wanting to jump on the bandwagon of the mm -hmm. Juneteenth, they were all about it. Um, so this year, uh, Wolf Trap reached out to us and said, we want to put together a Juneteenth performance. We thought you guys would be perfect for that. Can you put together an ensemble? And we were like, can we put together an ensemble? <laughs> that's yeah. what we do. <laughs> you know, that's literally what we do. And they wanted, a, they wanted it of a, a, they wanted it to be big. Right. Um, and we said, we can do that too. And we said, this is the perfect opportunity to showcase black excellence on full display um, on a very black holiday during a very black music history month. So in a very right. black city. <laughs> city. Right. Or outskirts at least. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is there anything uh, significant about this happening at Wolf Trap? I don't think I know much ab about the venue itself. Well, it's a um it's a uh I think one of the largest national parks in the United States, definitely largest in that area. Um the performance area is one of the largest. Um Outdoor and, amphitheater type. Right. Mm, okay. Seats seven thousand. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty large, large ensemble, large large venue. Um, so yeah. So it's going to be a hot show, is what y'all are saying. All right, I'll yes. bring my sweat rag. <laughs> yes. yes, please do. Absolutely. What can folks uh, expect to hear at this concert? Is it going to be original music, some of the hip hop classics? What what, what what's the repertoire looking like? It's going to be a little bit of everything, um, including, um, you know, right, including, you know, songs <laughs> that, that really speak about the, the black experience and the black journey mm. um, in the United States. Uh, it's 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 something that we're we're extremely excited about. And I'm just looking at the, the different songs that we're putting together. And I'm, I'm you know, I was saying to myself, like, there's probably no other place where you can go and get this this amount of, of stretch as far as artists like a, like a Mary J. Blige or a Brahms or a, a, you know, a Beethoven all combined in one show um, and pulled off competently. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's something that we're really, really excited about. Who needs to see this? I, I know that, you know, you want as, as big of a crowd, you know, everyone come out, it doesn't matter. But, but when it comes down to it, who do you really want in the crowd? Who are the folks that need to see blackness exhibited in so many different ways on one stage? Everybody. Right. I would say um, a lot of the people like the, the, the young mom who brought her, her son you know, to watch us at the Kennedy Center. Um, 
those are the people that that need to see it. Their children need to see it. Um, you know, uh, friends and family need to see it. Anyone, anyone who needs to be uplifted. And there's a lot of things going on right now that that really draw our attention down. Anyone who needs to be uplifted should come and and watch this performance. Yeah, that's dope. And I know that y'all have talked a little bit uh, about the musicians of the Illharmonic Orchestra, but I I wonder if uh, we can rewind a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, where the Illharmonic musicians come from. What's their walk of life? Uh, Where do they live regionally? Who who is the Illharmonic Orchestra? The Illharmonic Orchestra is from just about every part of the United States, um, from city to rural to you know, um, conservatory trained to natural born artists type of type of individuals. Um, they're from all over. Um, they some of them are music teachers. Some of them are musicians by by career and trade. Um, you know, some of them are student college students. It's some of them are high school students. Right. Well, one <laughs> of them is a high school student. Um, so it's really it really runs the gamut. At, you know, some of them are leading their own orchestras, Mm. you know, in their respective places, uh, pursuing, you know, second doctorates, you know, so it's, it really runs the gamut of, um, of folks. And, and, and again, that's like, that's the part about this ensemble that is so amazing is that we have all of these tremendously talented folks, um, that do this too. Right. Uh, or this is either what they do or they do a million other things that they're equally great at. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just to know that we're in the company of those folks, um, you know, is, is very humbling for us. And it makes us feel like we really want people to come out and see what what this is, what this is all about. And, and you know, the visibility of that, the, the sheer size of the ensemble is, is definitely um, something that's going to be important. But the visibility of being able to see that level of representation on the stage in this fashion, um, I think, can probably be transformative for for a lot of folks. As far as as where where they're from, we have people coming from New York, Boston, Philly, um, some people from the DMV area, um, Minnesota, Minnesota yeah. by way of Memphis, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, since Cincinnati, um, Texas. Um, North Carolina, it's just it's just really from all over, and Denver. you know, and putting right putting together this ensemble um, uh, was a really really eye opening and beautiful process because we got so many submissions from so many talented people, and just to see the sheer enormity of the of the amount of talent that's out there, um, you know, it's it was uh, it really really was a beautiful experience. Yeah. 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 I'd be remiss if I uh, didn't say the name Philly C. I've, I've heard That's you say that, you know, you might not see the Ilharmonic with a, a drum set on stage, but the DJ is something that you have remained dedicated to. I wonder what, what's the uh, significance of, of that? Why is a DJ even, you know, considering the, uh, the orchestra on stage an important part of what the Ilharmonic does? The DJ is the first element of hip hop. Um, so it was extremely important for us to to maintain that um, part of it. You know, the uh, uh, hip hop starts from the DJ spinning a break, spe- spinning records and stuff like that. So we sort of built the idea of a hip hop orchestra 
around that. Um, and I don't think it's it's something that we'll we'll ever move away from. Um, the DJ is such an intrinsic part, and it's 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 important for us to to have that represented on stage so people can see that. Um, you know, and I, I get people all the time, especially other musicians and, and other people who are drummers. You don't use a drummer? Why? Why? You know, why would you not use a drummer? Um, but for me, the DJ spinning the break is where hip hop hip hop originates from. And he's strategically, you know, situated in the center of the stage for a reason. You know, it's 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 symmetrical, but it's mm -hmm. also symbolic and also intentional, right? Because he's the the core. So the drum is the heart of hip hop. So I love that. I love that. Well, considering everything that the Ilharmonic has ever done, what could possibly be some of your goals looking ahead? I mean, Carnegie Hall is. It, do I need to, you know, pack up my bassoon and take it up to Dykeman? I mean, what what are what are some of the <laughs> maybe not, but what what what, 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 are, what are some of the goals you have looking ahead beyond this concert? I, I think it's um, I think it's becoming less about the the venues and more about maybe the size of the ensemble. Like this mm. this ensemble is forty piece. You know, can we get can we put 100 people on stage? Can we put 75, you know, black musicians on stage? Where would that happen? Um, you know, so so for me, it's 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 more become about the experience. Um, you know, what I would love to do Carnegie Hall again. Absolutely. Would they need to book us? Yes. <laughs> mm. We're not running that place. Out. Um, but for, for me, it's about the experience, the camaraderie. How many more musicians can we meet? Um, you know, how much. How much music can we all create together? How many experiences can we can we share? It's, it's how can we inspire each right. other? Those have become yeah. the milestones for 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 me personally now. Yeah, and I think um, you know on a on a glance forward, where we're really looking to um, branch out a little bit and look look more towards um, creating a foundation um, at some point that is pointed towards young musicians who are looking to pursue you know, either a musical career, a musical education, um, and trying to start an organization or, you know, 501 that um, really starts getting into more of that community aspect. So that's, that's you know, a glance ahead in a few years, but that's the, the direction trajectory that we're trying to get towards. Sure. Well, considering the upcoming show, how can folks check that out? Uh Tickets are available on wolftrap.org. Um, you go to uh, Juneteenth or June 19th, and you'll see a big old picture of our faces on there. Um, tickets are you know, $27 to $107, um, and there are seats available. So get your tickets ASAP. Great, great. Well, Double Trouble gets us into this interview because that's my favorite Illharmonic track. But uh, what what other uh, track might you point people toward in in preparation for this show? Maybe they've never heard the Illharmonic. I would say stuff like the the Entertainer, um, which is a full ensemble song, and that'll sort of give you an idea of of what we're doing. Um, B Boy meets Beethoven, of course. Um, you know, uh, hip hop's love ballad. I would absolutely say check that out. Yeah. And you don't stop, cause you can't stop, and it won't stop. The keep yeah. on, the keep on. We have as much more than they can see. Now put your hands together for hip hop, put your hands together. But we have as much more than they can see. We come a long way, most step was on Broadway But we have as much more than they can see I guess, yes, 
let's show Hey, you don't stop, stop What we have is much more than they could see And what we have is much more than they can see Oh, oh, oh yeah Phoenix sounding beautiful there alongside the Phantom and the Ill Harmonic Orchestra in Hip Hop's Love Ballad. That's what uh, the Phantom suggested that we outro with just a, a really in- incredible track. You know, Scott, something that I uh, that I think about that the Phoenix has brought to my mind there. When it comes to women in hip hop, there is an expectation for women to also sing that isn't put on men. So, mm. you know, we have the Phoenix there. We wouldn't have Lauren Hill without the the singing as well as the the rapping. You know, that's certainly the case for Nikki. And there are there are a few men who who do it, namely, namely Drake. But it just for, for me it's just a reminder of the depth of talent that you have within the world of hip hop, the depth of experiences, the depth of just ability, you know, to be able to to do so many things. I know we, we talked about it uh, earlier, but, you know, we, we can briefly circle back again. One of the things that the Phantom and the Phoenix are always talking about is that hip hop isn't just a young person's game, despite the fact that that's where the energy is is going. Uh, do you think hip hop has an age problem? Do you think that your relationship with hip hop, again, would be more intimate if there were marketing structures or streaming services or or whatever that highlighted hip hop for us grown folks more than the radio does or more than the internet and social media does? I think we need more people like Common releasing new stuff. Yeah. That yeah. can speak to you have you have a common vinyl. I his, do. His last that, record that speaks to things that we can relate to because. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why I'm not as steeped in all the lils and all the names, <laughs> no disrespect, but like you even said, there's yep. too many lils. There's a lot of lils out there here. Are. Multiple but, rappers call baby. Right. And so <laughs> I, I, I there, there's nothing there for, I don't understand the vernacular, the slang, mm. um, the N word. I, I'm sure I, I know that it's part of it, but it, it just, it, it just really hits hard on me Yeah, and I can't. Yep. I can't listen to it too much. But you know what? You didn't hear one of those N-words in either of the um, uh, of the ill-harmonic tracks that I mm-hmm. share with you. You know, I, I, I'm sure Common uses it, but I'm not thinking of, you know, that word, if we're going to center that and and the discomfort around that word, you know. So I, my point is that the, the music exists, the aesthetics exist. And even with the vernacular, yeah, I, I don't even pick up all mm-hmm. the slang, but that doesn't mean we can't, you know learn I'll, I'll a little bit of something it. or i'll still vibe to it That's i mean fine. you you know but, you you thanks to um i call them the three disciples why am i blanking right now Snoop uh, uh migos oh, uh you know okay. that th- thanks to that thanks to them you know you can speak to drip for example, you know, so <laughs> well, that's my association of, <laughs> here. So it's yeah. so it's a proximity to the music and proximity to the people. I'm going to yeah. put this out in the universe. Let's get an Arrested Development reunion tour. 
Oh, yeah, I, I see. See how colonized my mind is. I was thinking about the show. No, the the ensemble. Yes, yes. the band. <laughs> Arrested Development. Well, how about we we do that? Listen to a little bit of uh, Arrested Development uh, to to get us into the final movement. You know what? The one that I'm going to pick. Mm. You know, it, it shouts out my home state. Let's listen to Tennessee as performed by Arrested Development. A little bit of it anyway to get us into this fourth movement. Tennessee. Lord, I've really been real stressed down and out. And I was just talking about the the rappers who sing. Well, here we are, you there know, on, are. The, on the on the on the male side of things. Man, that song takes me back. I mm-hmm. mean, that takes me back to summertime in the backseat of the car. Again, I don't, I can't, I don't remember what year this was, but I was definitely a child. Let me see if it. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't say here, but anyway, it takes me back. You know, look at look at look, look at what hip hop you know has has done. How it's how it's grown. How it's evolved. It's a nineteen eighty eight. 1988. Oh well, I was li- <laughs> I was listening to the the reruns of the tune on the radio then. <laughs> but anyway, all right, we're we're here in the final movement in the uh, triloquy movement where Scott and I are gonna you know be true and real with y'all and just offer what we can from our lives and maybe some of it will inspire you or encourage you. So Scott, among the many things that I did over our three week break, who was get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I was Garrett McQueen is employed on a payroll. Now, listen, it hasn't been officially announced yet. Um, and, you know, because of the nature of the job, I'm going to, um, you know, not name the organization just in case the announcement doesn't come out before Wednesday. But I do want to talk about it a little bit because you have had a front row seat. I mean, between you and Dell, you have had a front row seat to my entrepreneurial journey and what I was able to build and, and maintain for myself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Triloquy is going to uh, continue. I still have some radio stuff on my books that uh, I'm going to do and the and the public speaking and, and all of that sort of thing. But I was offered an opportunity to not only grow my mission and to uh, and to execute my mission on an institutional level, but to gain some experience in a uh, in a on a level of arts administration that I don't think I could get otherwise. And, you know, we're talking mm. about an arts administration degree. You know, going back to school and then going in on entry uh, on an entry level to climb the ranks to get yeah. to the sort of position that uh, that I've gotten with with this organization. It's it's something that I felt like I could not. Uh, I, it's an opportunity that I that I couldn't pass up. Of course. I'm feeling a way, you know, am I selling out or uh, what am I going to do with a biweekly paycheck that I could earn in a couple days, you know, by just putting my own mind to it and 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 producing content or, or doing that sort of thing. You know, all of those things go through my mind, but I feel like institutional change and I and I hate 
a part of me hates that I've come to this, but a, there's a level of institutional change that maybe can only happen from within an institution. Hmm. I had to sit long and hard. This was not a money decision for me at all. I think when it all comes out in the wash, um, I'll be taking a pay cut at the end of the day because I've figured out how to make it out here by myself. And I figured out how to make it without breaking my back and working 40 hours a week and, and doing all of that. But uh, and, and I know I'm just circling the same point, but it th- there are a lot of reservations that I still have, some places where I'm nervous, not in my ability to do the job, but you know, in my ability to do a job, to, mm-hmm. to really wake up every day and dedicate myself and my life to another organization. I've justified it because the organization that I've aligned with understands my vision of American classical music and how orchestras um, can can lead the way in in creating that ecosystem. So I'm going to try this thing out. Do you have any <laughs> advice for me considering your dedication to institutional change from the inside of, of institutions? I mean, maybe you can even put yourself in, in my shoes. Would you go back to a job after finding your footing, finding your way outside of the structure of work, much less the structure of work as is realized by Western classical music. Mm. You had uh, a much better chance at making it than a 50 year old white man would have. Sure. If, if, if I was fired, nobody wants my perspective. We've already got that. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to find something that I could actually do and make money at, yeah, I think that going back on that would you know because i came up here almost on a dare sure i took this job and and people were saying you'll be back mm-hmm. you're gonna come back with your tail tuck but and i was almost like well just because you said i'm staying yeah <laughs> out of spite <laughs> see there's that grudge holding and that i do again right yeah yeah um and i'm trying not to do that i got to do better about that so yeah i understand where you're coming from but also think of the more adult level things like the benefits like going to the doctor <laughs> insurance you know right right maybe that tooth that's bugging you can get taken care of whatever yeah. it is yeah so there's something to be said for that and also you need to be looking down the line so are the paychecks are my gigs coming in as regularly as they used to or is it d- starting to dwindle is there a a hot season and a cold season and you know this this is called triloquy you know I, i'm i'm not completely comfortable in talking about my pockets and my bank account and i and i won't but you know just to answer that question yes things would be fine mm-hmm. because again i if i'm going to bet on anybody it's going to be myself so you know just being able to you know collect the money to live and survive of course you know, me and Dell aren't buying a new Tesla and and doing all this. You know, these Teslas are more often coming over here with the with the Uber Eats and and yeah. the and the Lyft drives and the Ubers. So you know, it's not easy out here for them either. Economy's hitting everybody. <laughs> but but you know, with gas the way it is, you know, and I have to put premium in my Mini Cooper, and it's over five dollars at this point anyway. Mm. What I'm getting at is, you can make it out here on your own. You don't have to be connected to an institution to survive. I'm, I root for people who make it out here on their own two feet. And I also have to name that I see the way institutional change 
happens from the inside. And I've been given the opportunity to do something like that. And I'm going to stick with it. I'm I'm not going to give up, you know, even opening my Outlook You've inbox had one this day. morning. I was like, oh my gosh, why are there already seven emails in here? Why are people emailing me? You, well, you answer three <laughs> and then you take a nap and then... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that I get to continue to work from home. The organization isn't actually based in Minnesota at all. So I'll be hybrid uh, between here and, and New York City. So now I got to get on airplanes where everybody coughing without their mask on. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of there are a lot of reasons for me to not want to do it. But the biggest reason of them all is having the opportunity to actually realize some of the things that we talk about here on on Triloquy. So mm. We're 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 gonna keep this uh show going. I'm gonna be around here probably with gray hair pulling half of it out as 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 many things as I'm I'm trying to think about. But I believe in this work, Scott. I believe that we can see change, we can even see transformation in American classical spaces. And I'm dedicated to that all the way to putting on a shirt at 8.30 so that I can look like something on the Zoom. Mm. See, I had a mind to just be be in my robe, but I said, no, let me respect everyone else. <laughs> I'll put on a shirt. Pants can come later in the day. Got <laughs> <laughs> to run around like Winnie. So when when that, um, when that the announcement is made, I, I suppose you know I can speak more to it, but I just wanted to uh, state that here in this uh, opener to, to season four uh, to, to make it known that my dedication to this side of my work is not waning. Mm. I can't let Triloquy just shrivel up and die just because I'm getting busy. You have invested a lot of emotion, a lot of creativity into this project. So I have that to think about. And of course, I have each and every one of you listening to to think about. Um, one of the, um, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up by uh, giving a shout out uh, to the Read podcast, to uh, Crystal and Kid Fury, who have been over there for years, I think almost eight years now, just being that companion to so many of us in the podcasting space. You know, they announced last week that uh, they will probably be gone for a little while because, you know, Kid Fury has some mental health things going on. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to uh, restructure things in your life. Um, that's what I'm doing here. I've restructured things in my life. I've re-entered the the uh, the institution, the the classical music industrial complex, if you will, to try to institute institute some change. I feel like the uh, the profile that uh, I have built as an entrepreneur doesn't leave me a lot of room to hide. So in job interviews, when um, in this job interview anyway, uh, when certain questions were asked. You know, I, I can't pussyfoot around. I, mm-hmm. I you know, mm-hmm. my my work is on paper mm-hmm. and and on wax here. You know, yeah. on 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 recording. Yep. So to have so, so to have an institution that, despite all of my cussing, they said, despite yeah, all go, of my everything, go. they're like, all right, let's see what happens. So that's what I'm gonna do. I'm I'm gonna see what happens. And in seeing what happens, though, I'm still gonna be here behind this microphone because I believe in having a free space where. Thoughts can be had where conversation can be explored outside of the respectability of work. It's almost got me thinking that maybe I should never announce where I'm working. (laughs) Now that everybody knows your business, you know, they don't have to know mine, where my job is at. But (laughs) anyway, thank you, everyone. Great to be back for season four. We'll see you next week.